Hello all, welcome or welcome back to And Everything In Between. I'm your host, Mela. Today, I am really excited for this topic, and I'm also in my room today recording, and I'll probably be recording in my room from now on because I figured out a way to make my microphone compatible with my computer, but it just feels so weird because I'm never recording here, and I know I basically said the exact same thing when I recorded in here for one of my previous episodes. It was pretty recent, but yeah, it just feels so weird. Like, I'm sitting at my desk. It just feels weird. But I've made it through the first few weeks of school, and I'm kind of getting tired of doing these deep philosophical episodes. Not that it's not fun to make those types of episodes, because it is, but I kind of wanted a change of pace. So I'm going to be talking about my film opinions in today's episode. And when I say film opinions, I'm not going to be like some college boy who's majoring in film and always has a problem with every Disney movie or something like that because it's not realistic. I'm When I say film opinions, take that with a grain of salt. It's going to be very loosely interpreted film opinions basically just my petty opinions on different movies, and I really wanted to talk about Gilmore Girls because I feel like I'm always bringing it up, but I never actually have an episode or a chance to sit down and talk about it. So yeah, that's today's episode. I am always watching... Well, let me not say a white lie here. I was gonna say that I'm always watching movies and TV shows, but that's honestly not true. I love watching TV shows, but I'm not... I don't have a very diverse TV show taste. You know, I kind of watch the same five shows. Actually, I'm not even going to say five. Quite literally, the only TV shows that I watch or that I will ever, like, rewatch are Stranger Things and Gilmore Girls because those are my top two favorite TV shows. But I have watched a variety of TV shows, but, like, mostly popular ones. Um, Friends, Grey's Anatomy, The Office... Never Have I Ever, Outer Banks, um, Gossip Girl, One of Us is Lying, or no, not One of Us is Lying, um, what is it? Oh, Pretty Little Liars. One of Us is Lying is a book. It's a really good book, but I don't even know why I said that. But yeah, I've watched those TV shows, but out of all of those, the only ones I continue to rewatch are Gilmore Girls and Stranger Things. And I watch movies, but I honestly have a very narrow movie taste. Like, I do not like very many movies. Actually, I don't think it's that I don't like them. It's just that I don't watch movies because to watch a movie, I always work it up to be some giant event in my head. I'm like, I need this whole afternoon to watch one movie because I need to have snacks. I need to have all my homework done because I can't watch a movie and relax if I know I have stuff to do. Um, I have to have my bed all made, the weather has to be good because I don't want to sit inside when it's sunny out watching a movie, so it kind of has to be a little rainy and gray outside for a good movie day. I have to have some snacks, gotta have my hot Cheetos, (laughs) and what else do I like when I'm watching a movie? I mean, at home, I usually just have like a bowl of hot Cheetos and pudding. I love jello pudding. But I gotta have my snacks, I have to have my sweatshirt on, sweatpants, gotta be comfortable. So I have various criteria that I need to meet in order to watch a movie. 
But without further ado, I just want to talk about movies and TV shows I've watched and my opinions on them all. So, to start off, let's just go through my general film opinions. Number one, like, I swear, if you're my friend, you have to know this about me because this is just one of my defining characteristics. I hate horror movies. I hate them so much. I am genuinely terrified by them, especially supernatural movies. Like, I am not watching a movie of Bloody Mary or a ghost or anything. No, I'm not here for that. I hate horror movies so much. The only horror movie I've ever watched, and it's not even very scary. I mean, it's scary to me, but in terms of the horror movie world in general, it's like ranked pretty low on scariness level. But that was The Sixth Sense. And I watched that. And the plot twist was really good. Although before I watched it, my friends had told me what happened because they never thought I would watch it. And then when we watched it together, I was like, wait, isn't I'm not going to spoil it, but I was like, wait, didn't this happen? And yeah, so I already knew it was going to happen, but that movie freaked me out so much. Basically, The Sixth Sense is about someone, this boy, or this man, I should say, who can see ghosts, and it's so, not ghosts, but like dead people. I shouldn't say ghosts, technically dead people, and that's why it's called The Sixth Sense, because he has like that sixth sense of seeing dead people and basically what happens is he starts seeing this therapist to try to kind of whatever weaken the effects of this problem this sense and I kind of forget because it's been a year since I've watched it but I'm pretty sure um this little girl uh, this little girl died and she was like wanting the boy to avenge her spirit because someone actually murdered her and no one found out about it. I don't know. I don't want to spoil it in case you want to watch it, but the plot twist was really good and if I hadn't known about it, it would have been really unexpected. That is the only horror movie that I've ever watched and it was so scary. I'm never watching it again and I know I must sound so weird for being like, that's the scariest movie you ever watched. Like, you think that movie is scary. Yes, to me, it was terrifying. Also, if you think I sound weird or, like, my voice sounds weird, I have been so sick this past week. Like, I forgot to mention that. It was horrible. I had, uh, oh, by the way, I was tested negative for COVID. Don't worry, this wasn't COVID, but it was just a terrible cold. It was a virus and my throat was sore. You know, I had a stuffy nose I had a cough, I was sneezing, I quite literally had every symptom of a cold or a virus that you could have. Like, it felt like the flu, but it wasn't the flu because I wasn't nauseous or anything, thank God, because I cannot handle nausea, but I mean, I was so congested. Anyways, yeah, so that's why my voice may sound a little weird because it still hasn't really returned back to normal yet, or maybe it has, I don't know, but Anyways, I don't know how I started talking about that. Back to horror movies. Also, I wanted to talk about the movie Coraline. Coraline, it's not a horror movie, but to me it is because I'm so scared of scary movies. Although I will say I was forced to watch it by my cousins when I was younger and they're both older than me. One of them is slightly older than me. The other one is a few years older than me. And they forced me to watch Coraline with them. And it was so 
scary. Like, I'm traumatized by this movie. Coraline is basically about, oh, it's, and it's all like a, all the characters are made of clay. And so it's all kind of a stop motion type film. I don't know, but it's very smooth and the editing is like really good. And it's really cool because everything is handmade. And I was actually, I had like this Coraline phase where I'd want to learn everything about the movie and theories on how the movie ended, even though I was scared of it and I would never watch it again. Although I might actually watch it again because it is a really good like Halloween movie. So I might have to watch it again, honestly. It's not super scary. I feel like I can conquer my fears of watching if I'm with a friend. But the mom... Okay, if you don't know what Coraline is about, you're probably so confused. So basically, it's about this girl named Coraline and she moves with her parents to this new town and she really doesn't like it. And this town is kind of weird. There's She meets this boy and he has like this cat and she finds this key in her house and the key unlocks a door and when she opens the door in the daylight it's like a brick wall or just a wall or something but at nighttime the wall is gone and it reveals this tunnel so she crawls through the tunnel and she enters this alternate reality where everything else is the same except it's always nighttime there and her parents have buttons for eyes everyone has buttons for eyes and it's just really creepy and the mom tries to make Coraline stay there and she tries to sew buttons onto her eyes and I think it freaked me out so much because the mom turned into the giant creature like monster the bug and it's been a while since I've done any research on the movie or watched it but I'm pretty sure the mom is like this villain I forget what the villain's name is but she tries to take children to be her own I don't know but I thought it was really interesting. And apparently the boy that Coraline was friends with, his grandma lost her sister, I believe, at a young age. And it's like a theory that the sister was one of the lost children from that the Coraline's other mother took. But I don't know. It's hard to explain. Coraline's other mother isn't like just her mother. She's an entity that can take on many different forms to try to like kidnap kids, I guess, in the alternate world. But it is really, really cool, honestly. I feel like there's so much symbolism. I also love researching on all the theories that people have. Some people theorize that Coraline never left this alternate dimension, but it's just a great movie. And the fact that it was made by hand like, all these individual pieces, every little thing is made with clay, I'm pretty sure, and it was all made by hand, which is amazing. So, honestly, Coraline, it's a good movie. I'm gonna have to watch it again. My Halloween movies that I want to watch are Coraline, Harry Potter, and Hocus Pocus. I've never watched Hocus Pocus, but it's on Disney+, Plus, so might as well watch it. My second film opinion, books over movies 100%. books are just superior to the movies. I will say that sometimes the movies can be better. I'm not going to say books are superior 100% of the time, but normally books are better just because they can develop the characters more and, I don't know, you can fit more details, more little details into a book, whereas a movie, you kind of have to have this plot that keeps going and you can't fit everything in. So it's like the movie, you're taking the skeleton of the plot and you're filling it in, but the books, you have 
all all the parts. Like, it's more than just the outline of the plot. You have little details between characters. You have what they're wearing. Everything is intentional. And I think that's really cool. So, that's why I normally like books better than the movies. I also don't like... This is just a pet peeve, but when people will see a movie having not read the book, unless it's a really popular movie, but, like, I feel like if you're gonna see a movie, at least have read the book. You know, don't spoil it for yourself. Or when people that re watch the movie and then read the book afterwards. Like, what's the point in doing that? You know how it ends. And I don't know. But books are usually better than the movies. Another thing that's kind of weird, that's just like a weird quirk, I guess, when I watch movies or TV shows, is I only watch TV shows or movies if it's either 90% character driven like, most of it is focused on a character-driven plot, which means that the story is about the characters' lives and not about, you know, what happens in the movie. What, you know, like, let me give an example. So, if you're thinking about the movie Jaws, <coughs> sorry, Jaws is a mostly plot-driven movie because you're worried about if the shark is going to eat the people or not. Like, there's no real character depth in there. Whereas, if it was a character-driven movie, it would focus on the people and their stories of losing their loved ones to a shark. And the shark would just be kind of a side piece. That would be more of a character-driven movie. So, that's kind of the difference. But I really like character-driven movies or TV shows. Or I like it if it's like 60% character-driven movies or character-driven, or 40% plot-driven, so that 60-40 balance. Like, I, I genuinely like it, or genu generally like it, when it's more character-driven than plot-driven, because plot-driven movies and TV shows, I just feel like can get really boring really fast, and you're not connected to the characters, so you have nothing that makes you want to keep watching, you know? The only exception I will say to that rule is shark movies, or... Yeah, honestly, shark movies, because Jaws, 47 meters down, oh, wow, my shark movies list has come to an end. But, you know, movies like that, shark movies, where it's mostly plot-driven, because the plot is so exciting, like a shark eating people, that is my exception to that rule. But when you have movies like, um, I'm trying to think, I had a really good example in mind, like... I guess I'll just say Harry Potter. Harry Potter is a mix of character and plot driven, but the reason I keep watching them is because there's a pretty good balance between character and plot, but it's a little more character, you know, Harry going to the new school and making friends with Ron and Hermione, and the plot is everything that goes on besides that. So it's kind of a pretty equal balance, but it's not mostly plot driven. Um, also, I don't know if I've ever pronounced Hermione's name right. Like, I'm pretty sure it's pronounced Hermione, but maybe it's not, and maybe I've been saying it wrong all my life, but whatever. I had a really good movie example. Oh my god, I was just thinking, this is so random, I was trying to remember what example I had of a good character versus plot balance, and then I just remembered this movie, 
shark boy and lava girl and for whatever reason i had an obsession with this movie when i was younger it was so good i just really liked it i don't know what that movie had in it that made me so addicted to watching it but it was a good childhood movie but like i was saying i like those mostly character driven movies and tv shows and i think why i didn't love outer banks is because outer banks every episode is very plot driven you know it seems like it's character driven but it's really a balance of i would say 70% plot driven and 30% character driven because you're worried about oh are the friends going to make it out alive are they going to beat the enemies are they going to capture the gold and the episodes can get very repetitive when it's plot driven which is why I like the character driven because I kind of like seeing people act out other people's lives I don't know it's just that's just more interesting to me personally I think I remember what movie I was thinking of. I was thinking of the movie Elf and how Elf is mostly like a 90% character-driven movie. And then I remember it was actually funny because I was watching this with my uncle and my uncle commented on how this like 10% of the plot-driven part of Elf where Buddy is... Buddy and Santa are trying to get away with the sleigh from the New York park rangers with their horses who were chasing them down and he said he didn't like that part because it was plot driven so that i thought that was just an interesting example how plot driven versus character driven movies and films play out i don't know i thought that was interesting to talk about though my favorite thing honestly like truly one of the best bonding activities that you can do with friends Go to the movie theaters with your friends. Bring blankets or wear comfy clothes. Wear your pajamas. Bring candy. No one cares if you sneak candy into the movie theaters. Buy popcorn. You know, spend $30 on concessions. The movies is an all-day affair. When I go to the movies, I am setting aside the whole day on my calendar because it truly does take up the whole day and it's one of the best things you can do with your friends. The snacks and the build-up to the movie, like the build-up, like coming over to your house, driving there, usually watching a movie at night, you drive together to the movie. It's just the best experience ever. I love watching movies in a movie theater. And because of COVID, you know, I didn't go to movie theaters for like two years because, I mean, the likelihood you would get it and the likelihood that those seats are cleaned, but now that you know, things are kind of starting to go back to normal, even though it really won't ever go back to normal. I mean, COVID is our new normal now, but just being able to go to movie theaters again, at least where I live, is really nice, and I've missed it. This is going to be controversial. I already know someone listening to this is going to stop listening as soon as they hear me say this, I have no interest whatsoever in Marvel movies or Star Wars movies. I used to watch Star Wars movies when I was younger, but there are so many characters and it's basically 100% plot driven. I mean, almost 100%, I would say 90% plot driven Star Wars movies are. And I just, I can't watch them. I can't keep track of the characters. It's just not interesting to me because I get bored quickly when there's no characters or no love stories no friendships that i can also watch for enjoyment 
it's kind of the same thing with Marvel movies. I don't know. I've just never liked them. And you can hate on me all you want, but I just don't like either Marvel movies or Star Wars movies. Another thing, I love how I'm saying another thing, but these two ideas aren't even remotely connected. But if I'm watching a comedy movie, I better be laughing so hard that I can't breathe. I better be rolling around on the floor, clutching my stomach, silently laughing. You know that silent laugh when you're laughing so hard, you you're just your tears start to form in your eyes, you're holding your stomach, you feel like you're going to have abs because of how hard you're laughing. Comedy movies better have me laughing that hard or else I'm not watching them. It's either a go big or go home comedy movie or it's a don't watch it at all. My favorite comedy movies, What About Bob? Meet the Parents and Meet the Fockers. When I say me and my friend watched Meet the Fockers and I was laughing so hard. I mean, it's kind of an inappropriate movie. There's a lot of dirty jokes, but I mean, me and my friend kind of have that kind of humor. So it was really funny. And Meet the Parents was just as funny. I actually heard someone in public saying how they didn't like that movie and they didn't even laugh and I swear to god I felt my eye twitching because I wanted to jump into that conversation and say no it's so funny but I didn't I had to refrain from doing that but what about Bob is probably hands down one of the funniest movies I've ever watched in my whole life me and my family always watch that movie and we basically have it memorized I mean, I can repeat entire scenes from memory just because of how much I watch it. So I don't know if that's sad or funny, but either way, I'll continue to watch it and continue to recite those lines. I I would honestly say my favorite movie genre is rom-coms or chick flicks. I love chick flicks so much. And rom-coms, like, you can't go wrong with a classic rom-com. It's that perfect character-driven movie You've got love, you've got friendship, you've got high school students that aren't anything like your own life. It's just the perfect recipe for a perfect movie. And chick flicks. I love chick flicks so much. I mean, Mean Girls. You can't go wrong with a movie like Mean Girls. I also wanted to say, I have to, I'm going to have to say this, cartoon Disney movies over the real life Disney movies. Don't get me wrong, I love I loved the real-life Beauty and the Beast, and I think I saw the real-life Cinderella, but nothing beats the cartoon Disney movies. I mean, those are the OG movies. Nothing beats them. And they're also making a real-life Ariel. I'm still going to go see it, but I just nothing beats the cartoons. I'm still waiting for them to make a real-life Rapunzel movie, or real-life Tangled. I don't mean to say Rapunzel. Real-life Tangled movie because that's one of my all-time favorite Disney princess movies, but yeah, the cartoon movies are going to get it for me every time. Not the real-life ones, I'm sorry, I have to say that. The last thing, again, controversial, I have some very controversial movie opinions, and what sucks is that after I finish this episode, I'm probably going to think of more and wish I brought it up, so in the beginning of the next episode, I'm going to have to talk about more opinions that I've remembered. But I also have to say, The Office is funny. The Office is really, really funny, but it's only funny to people with a specific humor. And I'm not going to say, it's only funny to people with an acquired humor taste. 
honestly, you just have to have a specific humor to enjoy The Office. I thought it was boring, too, when I watched the first episode. The first episode is not funny. You just have to stick with it. And it's just funny because of how ironic some of the scenes are. And it's just, I don't know, it'll get it, it'll get me laughing every time I watch that show. My favorite, top favorite episode in The Office is when they're preparing for, or no, okay, I just remembered. It's when Dwight lights the office on fire and he locks all the doors and I'm pretty sure he cut off the phone lines too so people had to figure a way to get out and Angela throws her cats in the ceiling. I mean that movie was so funny to me he and Dwight's just standing there watching everyone screaming. I sometimes just start thinking that movie or that episode and I just start laughing although that's what I do with like so many other things. Do you ever are you ever in public or you're in school? It's the worst when you're in school and you're sitting at your desk and you remember something funny that happened between you and a friend and you just start laughing because I literally have been doing that so much and I'll just start shaking because I'm laughing so hard and I actually look crazy. Like I'm just sitting at my desk with my shoulders trembling because of how hard I'm laughing. That was me getting off track, but I love when that happens. It's actually so funny, especially when people look over at you and they're like concerned, like what's going on over there? Ah, oh, love that. Okay, now we are entering, I'm in my Gilmore Girls era right now. We are entering the Gilmore Girls segment of this episode. If you don't watch Gilmore Girls, feel free to skip through the next 20 minutes because I have some controversial opinions about Gilmore Girls. And I hate when I see people on TikTok saying, uh, here are my controversial opinions about Gilmore Girls, and it's the same thing that everyone else is saying. I'm gonna give some real controversial opinions here, so be ready. Be ready for this. All right, starting off strong, my ranking of Rory's significant others goes Jess, then Logan, then Dean, and let me tell you why. Younger Jess, I'm not gonna say he was perfect. He was good and bad, I think the worst thing he did that gives him a bad track record is when Rory and him were at the party, that party that they all went to, and Jess was kind of pressuring Rory to have sex with him. That was terrible. That was probably one of the worst things he's done. And honestly, he was rude to Lorelai. He was rude to Luke. But, you know, he did have some trauma with his mom. He knew his mom couldn't take care of him. His mom didn't really want to take care of him. So there was some trauma there. So younger Jess, we have a mixture of good and bad. But let me tell you, older Jess had the best character development. You know, he went from a kid who didn't really care about school, who didn't really care about life, just was kind of going through life, not caring about the people he hurt to being responsible, getting a job, and, you know, showing care, showing emotion for other people. And when Rory dropped out of Yale, Jess was the one to keep Rory on track. You know, the famous quote, why did you drop out of Yale? That was Jess, you know, he wanted to keep Rory on track, he got his life together. So I think because of the character development, that's why Jess is first. Younger him, as much as I love him, you know, he had rough moments with his character. His character did bad things. 
but older him showed that development. Next up, Logan. Logan was always there for Rory, and, you know, he kind of brought out this fun side in Rory, and I'm not saying, oh, her stealing a yacht was her fun side, but he got her to loosen up and to have a little fun with life sometimes, and I thought that was important, but him asking Rory to marry him on the day of her college graduation was selfish. It was just selfish because he knew she wanted a career and to travel and she was only 22. I mean, she was so young and asking someone to commit to something like that when they're only 22, when they have their whole life ahead of them, I feel like that was kind of selfish, especially because Logan knew Rory. He knew Rory wanted to travel. He knew Rory had big plans and she wouldn't want to just stay in one place all the time. So... I think just putting her on the spot, especially when she was in front of her grandparents and her mom and everyone she knew, I just don't think that was the smart thing to do, and I think it was kind of selfish. Now, Dean. Let's talk about Dean. I think Dean gets more hate than he deserves. I will admit that. He was good in the earlier seasons, but let's let's rewind He was good in the earlier seasons, except for the sexism. I honestly think he became one of my least favorite characters when, you know, Rory and Lorelai were watching the episode of this TV show with these 50s housewives and one of the women, or not one of the women, it was just this TV show of this housewife and her family in the 50s. And so the woman was making dinner for her husband, and it just kind of followed this stereotypical, or not even stereotypical, just the typical life of an American woman in the 50s, and it followed her through taking care of her husband and her kids, and, you know, just being there only to serve her husband, and when Dean was saying, you know, it must be nice to have a woman to make a meal for you at the end of the day, And even when Rory was talking to him, he had a chance to take back what he said. I mean, I'm not sure why he wouldn't, but he did not take that chance. And then when Rory dressed up as the 50s housewife and made him dinner, and Dean still didn't really apologize, I don't know, that whole episode was just weird. I hated that episode. It was in season one. So, except for the sexism, he was good to Rory, you know, he showed interest He showed interest in her interests, even if he didn't like it, you know, he would always read all the books she recommended, and he would meet her after school, he would try to make time for her, he accepted that she had a lot to do to get into Harvard, all that stuff, but, you know, he got really jealous easily when Rory was becoming friends with Jess, I think he did get jealous because Rory had another male friend that wasn't him, And when Rory was doing the play with Tristan, you know, there was that. He got jealous. He wanted to watch them rehearse. And I think the biggest thing for me that kind of ruined Dean's character was that he couldn't move past Rory. And he let Rory determine his entire life. You know, he stayed in Stars Hollow. He cheated on Lindsay with Rory because he just couldn't move past her. And I just don't think that's any excuse that he would cheat on his wife and be rude to his wife. And every time she would make him dinner or 
do something nice. He would just belittle her. And I just, I didn't think that was acceptable at all. And I think his character was just ruined in the later seasons. But I will say, I think Dean, out of all three of Rory's partners, I think Dean was the most real. And when I say real, I mean he represented a real person who has flaws. You know, real people get jealous. Real people get stuck on other people and it's hard to move on. Now, I'm not saying real people cheat on their partners. No, (laughs) no, that's not what I'm saying. But I do think out of all three of them, Dean was the most real because of his flaws. That's kind of what I'm trying to get out here. Not only was Dean very realistic, I think Rory was the most realistic character, hands down, in the show. And let me tell you why. She was always told how smart she was in high school. You know, she was this perfect student. She had extracurriculars. She was bound to get into Harvard despite the 5% acceptance rate or probably even lower. You know, everyone told her how smart she was. She never really struggled. I mean, she struggled a bit when she got into Chilton, but she adjusted, and from there, everyone continued to love her. All her teachers, she just was always getting praised. So when she entered the real world, the real world meaning college, meaning Yale, and she broke down, she kind of realized she was not an average person, because the average person wasn't like Rory, but she wasn't as great as she thought she was. She was a normal person who just worked very hard to get the things that she wanted. And, you know, good for her for working very hard. But I hated that the writers had her drop out of Yale because of one person. And who was that one person? Logan's dad. Because she took Logan's dad, who was a jerk. He wasn't a good person. He was rude. She took his criticism to heart and I honestly don't think him saying you're not going to make it as a journalist is a reason for her to completely drop out of college. You know, maybe that's a reason for her to stop the internship there or to question her major, to question, am I really cut out to be a journalist? But to completely drop out of college, out of a higher education, out of a chance for a good job, I feel like that was really excessive almost a little unrealistic. It was realistic how she took that to heart because I feel like a lot of people have trouble accepting criticism. I'm not even going to say constructive criticism because that was just rude, but she really, really took it to heart and it went a little too far, I feel like. She didn't need to change her whole life path just because of that one person. I mean, if you're going to allow this one man who you are not friends with, who's not related to you, who has no significant value in your life. If she was going to take that to heart and let that dictate the rest of her life, I just, I don't know. It just, I feel like that was the worst thing they did to her character. And especially when she dropped out of Yale and Lorelai tried to hold her accountable and she stopped speaking completely with Lorelai. I mean, that was her mom. That was her best friend. And she just stopped speaking to her. That really frustrated me. But at the same time, you know, I feel like it was realistic. As a teenager, Lorelai and Rory never really fought. And in the show, Lorelai even says, you know, my daughter's having her teenage phase five years later. And I think she said that multiple times. But it was honestly true. Because 
she had this big blow-up fight, this, like, stereotypical mother-daughter blow-up fight, only she had it so late, like, all these years of not fighting kind of all combined into one gigantic fight. But I really hated when they weren't talking to each other, you know, because they're the main characters. They're the, the show is named after them, the Gilmore Girls. And I feel like how Emily and Richard supporting Rory dropping out of Yale was also just completely frustrating because they didn't have that same reaction to Lorelai dropping out of high school. When Rory completely changes the path of her life, you know, she's a smart girl, she was going places, and she kind of lost that opportunity. The same thing that happened to Lorelai, Lorelai was smart, Lorelai was going places, even though she still ended up with an amazing job. But they didn't support Lorelai at all. However, now they were supporting Rory. And I think, although it never explicitly said in the show, I think the reason they supported Rory in dropping out of Yale was because they wanted to give her the support they didn't give Lorelai. Because they saw what happened when they didn't support their daughter. Now they had no connection with her. And they didn't want to lose that connection that they had so preciously created with Rory. So I feel like that's why they supported her dropping out of Yale. I mean, I was kind of surprised because Richard went to Yale and Emily and Richard, they valued Rory's education. They were paying for it. So I don't know. That's just a theory I have on why they were supportive of it. Also, speaking of Emily and Richard and kind of Rory, all three of them, I didn't like how Rory would pretend that she wasn't wealthy. Now, her family wasn't wealthy. She and Lorelai were not wealthy, but she had this grandmother and she had this safety net to fall back on. When Lorelai couldn't pay for the termite damage on her house, Emily was there. When Lorelai couldn't pay for Rory's school, Emily was there. When Lorelai couldn't pay for Emily's, I mean, for Rory's college, Emily was there, Emily and Richard. And Rory had always had this safety net, and there's nothing wrong with that, but the fact that she would kind of try to deny it, try to act like she didn't have a trust fund waiting for her. I just, I don't know. It didn't feel right to me. Logan actually called her out on it. Logan was being real with her and he said, you know what, Rory, you and me are more alike than you could think. Just because your immediate family doesn't have the money I have doesn't mean you're not like me at all. So I thought that was really interesting and I kind of happy that he called her out on that. I Another thing I want to say, I really wished Emily and Lorelai's relationship progressed more drastically. And when, what I mean by that is Emily and Lorelai, they had their good moments. Each season, I feel like there were a few heartwarming moments where they would connect. It would seem like they were bonding. It would seem like their relationship was moving on. But then they would get into a horrible fight and it was like they were just going backwards. They were taking a step forward and then taking a step back. And while their relationship improved to where Lorelai could go over to Emily's house and see her and talk with her, it just never improved to the point where they could be friends with each other, you know? Like, I'm not saying it would have ever been Lorelai and Rory's type friendship, but... Just the fact that 
They were never quite friends. It just really, I don't know. It really sucked. Another real, it's another realistic thing, but I wish Emily would move on from the fact that Lorelai was pregnant at 16 because Lorelai had an amazing life now, you know? She had her own house. She ran her own inn. I mean, that's a successful life. She was an entrepreneur and Emily still didn't really appreciate that. She didn't recognize that Lorelai was doing well with her life. She just kept focusing on the fact she got pregnant at 16. And I don't know. I just thought that was kind of frustrating how she never moved on from that. She was never really able to celebrate her daughter's accomplishments. Another thing I want to say, I think Rory was a good friend to Lane. You know, sometimes she wouldn't listen to what Lane had to say, but she would call her when Lane was grounded. She would get her CDs. She would try to keep in touch with her. So I think she was a good friend to Lane. But I will say, Rory's friendship with Paris was very one-sided. She never called Paris her best friend, even though they were roommates, even though they went to parties together. They went on spring break vacation together. She still never called Paris her best friend. And that was kind of sad, you know? And props to Paris. I mean, when I watched a Gilmore Gilmore Girls Year in the Life and Paris had become this amazing, what was it? She was like a doctor for surrogacy or something like that. I, I kind of forget. But I thought that was really, really amazing. My favorite episode of Gilmore Girls was the Christmas episode in season two where everyone in Stars Hollow slept and ate dinner together at the inn. I loved that episode. I just, all my favorite characters were in it. You know, you got to see Rory and Jess's relationship progress, even though she was still with Dean. But yeah, I love that episode. It's one of my favorites. Now I want to talk about Gilmore Girls' A Year in the Life. I have to say, everyone expected great things of Rory, but like I said, the writers just made her realistic. She wasn't a bad person. It's not like she didn't go anywhere. But she was just stuck, like a lot of other people her age. She didn't turn out bad, she was just average. And I'm not saying average is bad, but she was like a normal person. You know, normal people don't write articles every single day for the New York Times. So even the fact that Rory did write an article for the New York Times, she still was an amazing person, but... She just accomplished what the normal person would accomplish, what an average person would accomplish, you know, getting an award for their work, but not being like a Nobel Prize winner. So I feel like Rory kind of expected amazing things for herself. And even when she did do something amazing, it wasn't as much as she expected. You know, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but yeah, I think the writers just made her realistic in that way. I also thought it was very interesting how the show kind of repeated the past. And let me elaborate on this. Rory was a mistress to Dean when Dean was married to Lindsay because, you know, they had sex when Dean was married to Lindsay. Now, in a Gilmore Girls year in life, she's a mistress to Logan. So that was interesting how that repeated itself. Now, Rory was unintentionally pregnant. Who was unintentionally pregnant before? Lorelai. Well, now it's Rory. So you kind of see she's kind of following in her mother's footsteps, in her old footsteps, 
Lorelai still hasn't committed to getting married. They both have these deep commitment issues where I don't know enough about psychology to say where that comes from, but they both have commitment issues. And it's interesting how Stars Hollow is still the same. They still have the same festivals. Taylor's still leading the town council. And I feel like it kind of represented, kind of showed the repeating cycle of life just in a small town. That was really interesting to me. And it was just very interesting. The show is very reminiscent of the past. One other quick thing to say about Gilmore Girls. I told you guys I would probably talk about it for 20 minutes. I have to say April was the worst character that could be introduced to Gilmore Girls. First of all, how did she even find out that Luke was her father? Like, I'm so confused how that happened. But how did she figure that out? She comes to Luke's diner. She's like, I've narrowed it down to three different people who could be my father. And you're one of them. Like, she was 10 years old. How does a 10-year-old figure out who their biological father is by themselves? It was just very weird. I was like, this is so unrealistic. She was such an unnecessary character that didn't need to get involved between Lorelai and Luke. I mean, she kind of ruined their relationship. They were going to get married and then they didn't because of April. So I think she was just a really unnecessary character. Anyways, I'm not going to talk about Gilmore Girls for anymore because I don't want to be too repetitive. The last few things I want to talk about are my favorite movies. I mentioned how I love chick flicks. I mentioned some of my favorite comedies. One of my favorite movies is The Perks of Being a Wallflower. And I think this quote that I'm about to share, I mean, it's a very famous quote from the movie. It's like the most famous quote. But, I mean, it is such a good quote and it really invokes a lot of thinking. We accept the love we think we deserve. I can't elaborate on that quote more. We accept the love we think we deserve. It's just such a good, beautiful quote. And overall, the movie is such a beautiful coming-of-age film. And I love the theme about finding your people and how you know, Charlie didn't expect to be friends with a bunch of seniors who are a few years older than him, but here they are, and they didn't expect to be friends with a freshman who was a few years younger than them. So, I thought it was just a really beautiful film about finding the friends you love, and I just love that quote, and I love when they were in the car. It was Sam, Charlie, and, oh, I forget the other character's name, but it was the three of them, And they had their arms through the roof and they were saying, in this moment, we are infinite. And I just love that scene so much. The Perks of Being a Wallflower is one of those very rare occasions where I will say, I think the movie is better than the book. I liked the book, but the movie is really good. My other favorite movie is 10 Things I Hate About You. I love 10 Things I Hate About You so much. It's my all-time favorite movie. I love Cat Stratford. Any time I'm doing like an inner monologue, I'm like fighting with someone after an argument had already passed, you know, when you're repeating arguments in your head about what you could have said. I always have Cat Stratford in the back of my mind. But not only that, it's just a great love chick flick, rom-com, coming of age, all of those things. I love it so much. And I was doing a little research on the movie and there are so many references to Shakespeare and one of his plays, I forget which one it is. I don't know if it was a play or a sonnet, but 
I thought that was really cool too, how the movie had a lot of Easter eggs about that. What about Bob? Meet the parents, meet the Fockers. I already talked about that. Harry Potter is such a good movie to watch on a fall day. When it gets more fall-like where I live, I'm definitely going to have to watch Harry Potter. And real quick, I wanted to discuss my favorite chick flicks. Alright, here we go. Mean Girls, Clueless, 13 Going on 30, Legally Blonde, Freaky Friday. Freaky Friday is so underrated, but it's so good. It's such a classic Disney movie. And of course, Lindsay Lohan was amazing in it. And then my favorite Disney movies are, I'm pretty sure Anastasia is a Disney movie, but Anastasia, Rapunzel, and The Princess and the Frog. Anastasia is a good love, enemies to lovers Disney movie, and I keep saying Rapunzel instead of Tangled. I meant to say Tangled. Why do I keep saying Rapunzel? Tangled. I love Tangled. Flynn Rider. Wow. (laughs) And then The Princess and the Frog is such a good movie. I love the colors in it, and I love the New Orleans background of the movie and the culture of New Orleans at that time. It was just really cool. You could see the architecture and the strong jazz music, how jazz had such a prevalence. I thought it was really cool. And there was a reference to Of Mice and Men in the movie, which I thought was really cool because I read the book for school. So that rhymed. That was funny. But yeah, those are my film opinions. I have more, but I'm not going to bore you guys. And I'm going to keep thinking about them. I just know the instant I stop recording, I'm going to be like, why didn't I mention that? But I'm going to be thinking about some more opinions that I might have to bring up in the next episode. I'm very excited for fall to be here. I wish the leaves would turn red already. Like, I wish it was fall fall, not spring fall, not global warming fall, but an actual fall. But I guess I'll just have to wait longer for that. Thanks for listening, guys. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. I actually had so much fun making it. I love talking about Gilmore Girls. I could have made a whole episode just dedicated to Gilmore Girls. But yeah, thanks for watching, guys. Or thanks for listening. And I'll see you next time.